Hey, welcome to Vine Church Fort Myers podcast. We are glad that you took time to listen. We pray that the message of grace empowers you today. Before I title my message, uh, I want to read this block in Galatians chapter 3. And then we're going to actually dive into the word uh, that is in the next chapter. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. And I'm reading in a version of the Bible called the Amplified Version. This is how the Bible says. For you who are born again have been reborn from above spiritually transformed renewed sanctified and are all children of God set apart for his purpose with full rights and privileges through faith in Christ Jesus for all all of you who were baptized into Christ, into a spiritual union with the Christ, the anointed, have clothed yourself with Christ. That is, you have, been, you have taken on his characteristics and values. Today I want to talk about sonship. And the title of my message is Grace Make, Makes Us Children of God. Now, I want you to really grasp all the benefits of this sonship. I, I, you have to have revelation in this identity in Christ Jesus. So close your eyes. And I would like to invite you to pray with me, asking for revelation. Holy Spirit, we have our hearts open. We declare that our minds are submitted to the authority of your inerrant, powerful word. Let the two-edged sword, word of God, cut and divide what is natural, what is our opinion, and what is your mind, what is your opinion about us and for us. Open, Holy Spirit, the eyes of our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name and the whole church said, amen and amen. Now, there are many uh, illustrations that the Bible used to clarify spiritual truths. And one of the hard things to translate is the relationship that our Heavenly Father expects to have with us. But one thing for sure is that very close to this relationship is what healthy, sound families have with their children. When you are raising a zero, one, two, three years old kid... You don't have many expectations of any paying back to you when you buy her or him a clothes, a pair of shoes. You don't expect some sort of uh, income, profit off this investment. Actually, don't call investment. This is actually the worst investment if you see your children as an investment. Because it never gives you a profit. It's only purely expenses. But there's a joy. There's a sense of purpose. Now, when children receive something from their parents, uh, they cannot say it's because they deserve anything. Just because they are cute, just because they are beautiful. No, no, it's, there is no basis on any accomplishment or a merit. 
is solely because of their identity. They are children. And that's the illustration in Apostle Paul we're going to expound here in Galatians chapter 4. We finally are stepping in the second half of our study in Galatians. This is our 13th message in the book of Galatians. And I'm enjoying so far. Are you? Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 6. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God had sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba. Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, that is the good news of the gospel. God shared his son's nature, sonship, identity with everyone who believes in him. Now, I'm studying deep theology right now. I'm going through a master's in divinity. And one of our hard um, um, studies is to study the cults and heresies, so-called pseudo-Christians. And one very known United States is called Jehovah Witnesses. And one of the things that Jehovah Witnesses are, uh, a have the pride to bear is that they, they believe they found the hidden secret name of God. And they say that in somehow the uh, church fathers in the past, because of the Catholic uh, policies, they hid this uh, powerful name. Almost like this amulet, this token, hidden name of God. It seems that they actually never read the Bible because they revere Jesus not as God. Because they seem also to never have read John chapter 1. But they consider Jesus as the created being of God as someone that we should revere. So they should consider, for example, this prayer of Jesus. It is called the priestly prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. And Jesus reveals this name. Actually, Jesus says, yes, the name of God, it is a powerful name that everyone should know. He actually says that he came to reveal this name. Look what he says. John chapter 17, verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Look, verse 11, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name. You see, this name have power. 
which you have given me, I have guarded them, and not of them, and none of them, not a one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that is, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And the, the prayer continued, verse 26, I made known to them your name. Well, I want to know this name that Jesus said that he came to reveal. It says, basically, my mission on earth was to reveal this powerful name. And I'll continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So Jesus says that without knowing this name, you're never going to relate to God in a proper way. But what name is that? Now, there is this basic tool of interpretation of the Bible. A theological name is the hermeneutical interpretation of the Bible. It's pretty simple. You simply say, you simply say that you take the text in its context. Now, it's simple like this. Like you, if there is a Bible verse that you get uh, lost or you get confused, try to read four verses above, four verses below, and you're probably going to get it. Now, the only, Bible, the only Bible book you can actually isolate verse, I let you do that if you want, is the book of Proverbs. All other books of the Bible should read it in its context. Simple like that. So if you read the whole context of John chapter 17, the priestly prayer of Jesus, you're going to find out that in this context, for six times Jesus called God by the powerful name. The most important name. The name that will fix our relationship with God. And you know what is this name? Father. God doesn't want to be called Yahweh, Jehovah, Jireh. You can call him all these names. He's even like um, uh, C.S. Lewis called him as Aslam, the great golden lion. Call him whatever. But ultimately end your prayer calling him Father. That's how we fix our relationship with our God, our Father. This is the basis of the new covenant. What are you talking about the new covenant, pastor? So the book of Hebrews, there are two blocks there that speaks about the new covenant. And I'm reading in Hebrews chapter 10. He says, the Holy Spirit, verse 15, also bears witness to us. This is the same expression that Paul is going to use in Romans saying, that we are born again. And how you know we are born again? Because the very Spirit bears witness, testify, ratify, sign below saying, you are mine. I generate you, are begotten in you. And how you know that? I just know. But how you know? I know that I know. I don't know how I, go, I got to know, but I know that I know. And this knowledge, this bear witness that you are God's. You belong to Him. You are His child it's it is signed it is ratified by the holy spirit bears witness to us this is the covenant verse 16 that i will make with them after those days declares the lord i'll put my laws into their minds and i'll write them in their minds i will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more now, it, this knowledge, this understanding of our relationship with God, it is bared witness. It is confirmed by the Spirit of God. I remember this experience myself when I got saved. 
uh, it was part of my family culture uh, just to cuss, just to say dirty words. It was part of my rising up. That's how my family taught each other to communicate. And mainly for me, as the youngest of four, it was a matter of survival, right? You have to bark louder in order to survive three wild beasts like your brother and sisters. Mainly when we were all practicing the same violent sport, uh, we used to play water polo all together, so we cuss a lot. And suddenly I was born again, something inside of me, not a commandment, not because I had read in some sort of uh, 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 behavior code uh, law in my church wall, is because in my heart it was incompatible with such attitude. And I couldn't cuss anymore because... The law of God was written in my heart. How did that happen, Pastor? John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, had gave, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of the blood, not of the, the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. From the very God. New Living Translation Bible, Romans chapter 8 says, For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son, so that His Son will be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Jesus is not our role model, but He is our standard in the sense of nature we had received his very nature he's the first of a kind and we have the same kind of his the same nature of his now Paul gonna stretch this illustration of sonship and he says that it is possible to be an heir a son but still keep yourself a slave you are an heir but a slave how is that is even possible? Why this happened? And, and the, the illustration or the, the symbol that comes to my mind is the very people of Israel. They were captive. They were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And now God redeemed them, brought them out of Egypt. And the final goal, the final destination was the promised land, Canaan. However, they were enslaved in Egypt, but while they were in the wilderness, in the desert, when the law came, instead of recognizing the law just as a, a description of God's quality and how uh, short we had fell from God's glory, they tried to perform. They tried to perfect themselves. And the Bible says that a journey that could be made in less than three months now took 40 years. Someone called to be a child now is living Christian life as a slave. Now, how this is even possible? And another story that came to my mind is a very known story. Most of us know this parable. It's called the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Now, I, I don't like to call this parable the prodigal son's parable because... There is one center character, and it is not the younger son. It is the amazing, gracious, loving, always loving father. So, in this story, we see how it is possible to be a son 
but relate to your father as a employee. Because, you know, like I said, a three-year-old, two-year-old kid, they receive the blessings aware that it's not because of their performance. But if I have an employee, as much as I like my employees, as much as I care for them as persons, ultimately our relationship will be in the basis of performance. Because if my employee, if I'm the business owner, does not perform for the sake of our business, unfortunately, I will not be able to keep his or her position. And, and we see the same mentality being projected here with these boys. We're going to learn this story. You guys remember there was the younger son and he dared to approach his father with this attitude Luke chapter 15, verse 12. And the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now, this is such an improper way to approach your dad. It's almost like you are hard to die, old man. I wish you had been dead already. However, since you don't die, would you please put in advance my inheritance? Now, it is respectful now, but it was extremely disrespectful 2,000 years ago in a rural area of Judea. To listen to this story, all the listeners, all the, those that were hearing this story, they were already perplexed with such audacity of such a boy. And Jesus put this uh, canvas for us in strong colors, so all the attention was focused right now. What in the world this dad will do now? He's probably going to cuss anathemize this boy we're gonna just like set him out of the family we're gonna disinherited him let's see what the story says in the bible says that the father divided his property between them yes the father gave the boy his inheritance i see so many christians relating to god in this basis they come to god with an invoice they come to God saying, God, I want the blessing that I deserve now. Give it to me now. And it's interesting because God, because he understands that if he does not bless, like the father of the story, does not give the, the inheritance, the relationship will be even more hostile. But we know the rest of the story. The boy simply wastes all his inheritance. He goes to parties, prostitution. He just lives a wild time, pays for the drinks and for the parties of others. He ended up in misery to the uh, lowest position a Jewish person could be. He ends up working, taking care of pigs. He was so hungry that he desires to eat the pig's food. And he realized, and that's what the Bible says, that he came to his senses and he says, you know what? It is better that I go back to my father's house because there, as a servant, I know at least I'll have food on my table. So he rehearsed his uh, uh, saying to his dad, and, and now is when we actually have the revelation. We have the, the, the open up the, of his heart. We finally finds out what was going on in his heart from the very beginning. That's his rehearse. He says that he will rise and come to his father. I'll go to my father so he could treat me like one 
of his servants. Look verse 19. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. This is him thinking to himself. Treat me as one of your hired servant. Treat me like one of your servants. A son but is laved. A son but dealing with the father in the basis of serving is slave mindset. The father, seeing the son from afar, verse 20, saw the boy, and instead of saying the lesson, yeah, now I hope you, little boy, have learned your lesson. Instead of, again, disinheriting him, the Bible says that he saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, why? Why this reaction? Why this reaction toward this boy? Because the father never intended that his children will relate to him in the basis of master and servant. As worshipers and deity distant. No. The father always intended a relationship as an Abba father and beloved Son, verse 22, the father said to his servants, not to his son, said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring in his hand and shoes in his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Yes, the son that deserved punishment received a party. Why? Because finally the father could translate his love that was not in the basis of merit, of earning. The son had the very beginning a wrong relationship in the basis of earning. I deserve to be blessed because I am better, because I just deserve. He just had the feeling that he had the, the right to charge God of the blessings. The son had to find out from his own experience who the father was. And that's why the father let him go. But the father answered him when he came back with his grace. Because it's only the grace of God that makes us children of God. It's only when you get grace is that you actually get your sonship right. Now, we know that the story didn't end. That was the older son. And the older son comes and finds out the party, gets very jealousy and angry. Because he also was relating to his father in the servant-master basis. In the, I work, so I deserve. Now, I know the first one was a rebellious son. Right? That had the audacity to bring his voice before even properly working however the second one even not being a rebellious one was a religious one because he comes with this basis he actually says in verse 29 look these many years i have served so he has the same serve master mindset to relate to god and you never 
and I never disobeyed your command, such a liar, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. So that's the point. We have two boys, two sons being enslaved. Heirs, however, enslaved. And while the first one was rebellious, the second one tried to impress his father with his hard work. And in the same way now, he's bringing the invoice so God should pay him because God owed him something. But if my son comes with a bill for me to pay, he's losing his identity. How many brothers and sisters are still in this kind of relationship with God? Now let me press deeper in some points over here. Let's go to Galatians chapter 4 again. Our, ba our, our Bible text, verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son in our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. First John chapter 5, verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Romans chapter 8. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. What God wants through the new covenant is to give us sonship and adoption. These two terms is very important. Sonship and adoption. Sonship is what gives God's nature in us. God through his son not only call us son, but we actually were born out of God, from God. We have the very DNA of God. Divinity flows through our veins. Come on, somebody. Say a good amen. amen. That gives you a lot. If you really go really deeper in this meditation, you're going to find out that you can be a full and complete representative of God. Yes, when you open your mouth, miracles break out. Because divinity flows through your life. But there is the other aspect, adoption. Adoption is more in the legal rights. It means that you can enjoy your inheritance as a son. We are partakers of God's nature, but also we have the right, the rights as sons. Now, Galatians chapter 4, 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. This is your answer to the question, but why God did not operate like that before sending the law? Why God called Abraham by faith, like we respond like Abraham by faith, and then brought the law? It's because God had to prepare the fullness of time. When the fullness of time had come, God has sent forth His Son. This expression it's most scholars understand as an alignment of historical events. For example, by this time, we had the worldwide Roman Empire establishing what it was known the Pax Romana. That established roads and exchange and business and, and exchange of culture. And because of Pax Romana is that we had the written language of the Greeks. A very rich language that allow us to go to the New Testament and find all these layers of understanding of the Word of God. Mythology of the Greeks and the mythology of the Latin culture was in 
declined. People knew that the false gods of mythology were for no use. They were just a projection of human nature. And something very interesting, because of the diaspora of the Jews since the Babylonian captivity, there was these places for lecturing the Bible all over the world called synagogues. These places where scholars of the Old Testament will preach the law. So the guardianship of the law was coming to an end. And everybody knew in somehow, some form, about the law. God made the alignment of this to be the fullness of time. With what was the goal of God? Verse 5. To redeem those who were under the law. So that we might receive adoption as sons. Say after me. Redemption. Say adoption. Tell to your neighbor. Say redemption. Say adoption. God rescued us. God came to the market of Agora. The market of the slaves. And he says, I want to buy slaves. And the slave trader, the devil, had all the souls of humanity in his hand. He says, it's all for sale. But it's for a good price. I only sell these souls for a good price. God says, I want to buy it all. I want to redeem them all. And the devil says, I want the price of blood. The blood of your only begotten son. So God sent his son. That's what we relate verse 4 and verse 5. God sent his son in the fullness of time in order to redeem. In order to buy us back. In order to rescue us from the slave market. Come on somebody. We receive redemption. Now we were slaves, redeemed slaves in the father's house. Very awkward and out of place because we are in this rich guy's house that we are hungry. We were slaves, we were craving for every blessings around, but I feel myself as only a redeemed slave. I don't touch anything. I don't play as I am part of the family. I'm just a redeemed slave. But that's why God sent his son not only to redeem those who were under the law, verse 5 again, but also that we might receive adoption. We might receive the very right to be called the children of God. Now you're understanding better John chapter 1. Those who believe receive the right to be called sons, children of God. Now let me clarify this a little better for you because uh, why... In the world, Paul used the term adoption here. It's because uh, sonship, while gives us the connection in the sense of nature of God, adoption is a stronger word in the sense of the right of sonship. Because if I had a son born out of me, biologically begotten from me, I will maybe have the right to disinherit him, curse him, anathemize him because he was disrespectful toward me. So if I had a rebellious wild son and he never honors me, I will say, you know what? I have nothing to do with you. I disinherited you. I'm not going to take my name out of you and you're not part of my family anymore. You could do that with your biological son. However, now that you have no heir, now that you have no one to pass on your legacy, 
you had to adopt one of your slaves, one of your servants. But pay attention. By the Roman law, if you had adopted one of your servants, you could never disinherit him. You could never take out the right to be called a son that once you gave to him. So let me say something. Once saved, my friend, you are always saved. Once son, you are always a son. And Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy. What was promised to Abraham now is fulfilling Christ Jesus. He is the perfect one born under the law. Born from a Jewish woman. Jewish because he had to fulfill the Jewish law. He was blameless in all the commandments of the law. He submitted to all the requirements of the law. He was fully man. Perfect God. He perfectly fulfilled the righteousness of the law. Christ's deity. Humanity. Perfect righteousness. Is what qualify him. To be the mediator. To be the transaction, transaction um, mediator. The one that with his divine hand. Held God's hand. And with his human hand held our hand and make peace between us and our Father. Galatians chapter 4 verse 6. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of His Son into our hearts. Now pay attention. I was a redeemed slave, but now I receive my letter of adoption. But I still don't feel inside of my heart that I'm a son. And that's why the complete work of redemption is not only a redemption, is not only an adoption, is also a change of heart. Now I love the fact that Paul brought this expression that we see in many gospel songs, Abba. Again, the Greek, it was the language for the New Testament. But Abba was an expression from the Aramaic language. Aramaic is a Jewish rural kind of language. It was not the Hebrew formal language of the scripture. Okay? It was more the, the spoken language of people. And, and why the world, not only Paul, but Peter used this expression. Why they kept, instead of bringing the Greek expression for daddy, for dear father, for uh, a dad, they use an Aramaic expression in his translation. Why? Now, I am bilingual. I have two languages already, and I, I can relate to that very easily. And if you know a little bit of other language, you know what I'm talking about. There are some expressions that... Even though as much as you try to translate in other language, it doesn't have the same feeling. Like you try, you try to illustrate, you bring synonyms, but it, uh, it's still not the same. You don't have the whole feeling in that word, in, which word, in whichever uh, language you are trying to translate. And Abba is one of them. I think that Paul preserved that just to make us clear that we can cry out in the same language, in the most anguish, deep, sorrow moment of Jesus in Gethsemane. In Mark 
uh, chapter 16, the, uh, Mark chapter 14, is when Jesus used this expression. It's, it is record, is re record in the Gospels that that's how Jesus related to God. He called God Abba, Father. So we can resound, we can echo the same spirit of Christ within our spirit, the same crying, Abba, Father. And that's why there is no greater name, most powerful name, than the name of Father. That's why Jesus, when he taught his disciples in Matthew chapter 6, how to pray, he didn't say, when you pray, you come and say, El Elohim, or Jerah, or Rapha, or Yahweh. No, no, no. When you come to pray, you pray, you guys all know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, I heard many stories of fathers that because of alcoholism they had to leave their homes because they were a destructive agent in their own home so because they struggled with alcoholism they left house the, the house i also heard stories of boys because of their own addictions of drugs or abuse of substances that because of shame they left their own homes but you know i never heard any story of parents Leaving their own homes because the sinfulness, the wrongdoings of their children. And this is because somehow I need to remember, remind you that God will never leave his house because we are wild. We still sin and fail. That's why I want to remind you of 1 John chapter 4 verse 19. We love because he first loved us. So we just react to this love. We only react to this love because we are sons. Now you have to get this because I'm not only a, a, a redeemed slave. I'm not only an adopted son. I'm not only a one heart with a spirit that cries, Abba, Father. I am an heir. I receive all the inheritance. To close my message, the story that came to my mind while I was preparing this message is that two accounts of two young, two rich persons that came to Jesus. The first one, the Bible says that he knelt before Jesus, Mark chapter 10, and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Mark chapter 10, verse 17. There we go. Which is incoherent. Because if when you think on inheritance, inherit, you don't think of doing something. You simply are something. Are you guys what I'm trying to say? But he says, I want an inheritance doing something. So the question was vague, was wrong. We know the rest of the story. Jesus trying to convince him that in order to receive an inheritance, there was nothing to be done. Jesus challenged him to try to do something. And he's so blind about himself 
that he says, I have been doing this since my childhood. So Jesus pressed strong the point. Looking at him, Jesus loved him, verse 21, and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. In other words, come on, you really don't get it? So try it out. Try to buy the inheritance of the sons. Like try to do that. And we know the rest of this story. Verse 22, disheartened by the saying. In other words, he realized, I can't do that. I can't buy the inheritance. But he, instead of getting this sorrow and turning into a repentance, turning into a change of perspective about the love of Jesus, he actually left. He went away sorrowful for he had great possession. That's the problem of the rich mentality. The rich have the mentality that they can buy anything and have great difficulty to receive anything that is by grace. Now you're going to say, okay, but I'm not rich, Pastor. So I am out of this problem. No, it's not a matter of having money or not. It's a matter of mentality. That symbolizes those who live under the law of merit. That relates to God in the master-servant mindset. They are always with the feeling that they have not done enough. Not pray enough. Not tithe enough. Not fast enough. Two days after this moment, the Bible says that Jesus met another rich man. His name was Zacchaeus. And the story says that Zacchaeus, different in the first one, was willing to get out of his pedestal and meet Jesus. He was in the tree because he was short in stature. And Jesus called him and said to him, verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus immediately came down and received Jesus in his house. This time the Lord didn't say anything about keeping any commandments. He simply said that salvation had come to that house. Why? Because Zacchaeus already saw himself as a sinner. And because Jesus had the chance to demonstrate his grace and love. And the result... The result that always happened in the lives of those that understood grace is this, verse 8. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. What a difference of reaction. While the first rich young man tried to perform, tried to buy Jesus with his compliments, flatter Jesus with words, Zacchaeus' genuine attitude is what got the Lord's attention. The rich young man thought that he was perfect. Zacchaeus knew he was a sinner. 
The rich young man was disheartened, but did not come down from his pedestal. Zacchaeus came down from the fig tree and received the word of God. The rich young man did not give up his material possession, but Zacchaeus spontaneously said that he would return all that he had stolen. The rich young man tried to receive salvation by merit. Zacchaeus received salvation by grace. The rich young man said it is difficult for those who love riches to enter the kingdom of heaven, but the answer of Jesus for Zacchaeus is the answer for all of us. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Let me invite you to stand up this morning as I close this message. And that's the answer Jesus gives to those that are willing to receive His love by grace. The Son of Man came to seek, came to save the lost.